Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes, completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves, and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Akhil is the founder, president and chief commercial officer of Green Story. His goal is to help companies find a responsible way of doing business. In the interview, Akhil shares how he traveled as a child to protected rainforest and how that has shaped his vision and what he does today. He also talks about the importance of having mentors for any entrepreneur and how he loves to go on long walks without any direction. Hi, Akhil, and welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hi, Sumit. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. To begin with, can you share who you are and what do you do? Sure. So my name is Akhil Shivanandan. I'm the co-founder and the president of Green Story. So what we do at Green Story is we work with fashion brands to calculate the footprint of their products in a very credible manner through a scientific methodology and allow them to make improvements in the supply chain, offset their footprint, and most importantly, show it to consumers at point of sale. And this for us is very important because as a company, the reason I founded Green Story was really to get a billion consumers to understand their impact and make greener choices. So by allowing fashion brands show the impact of their green choices to their consumers, we can reach a billion people and that's mm -hmm. how we can change the world. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And before we come to Green Story, can you share a little bit of your backstory? What led you to starting this company? What led you to entrepreneurship? And anything else which might be relevant? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I were to start from the beginning of my career, I, I never thought I'd want to wind up being an entrepreneur. I grew up in India and uh, very typically I did engineering in India in computer science. I didn't have want anything to do with it in my career. So I ran away screaming and ended up working in a space that I was very interested in since I was a child. And that was in the environmental space. And I was working a lot on initially on consulting and market research projects around sustainable technologies like renewable energy, building integrated photovoltaics, eco-labeling, those kinds of things for about four years in a couple of companies in India, also with the government of India on a couple of projects around that. 
Then I moved to Canada in 2011. The intent was to build out a career in the renewable energy and sustainability space in Canada, which was booming at the time. And I did my MBA in the Rockman School of Management at the University of Toronto. That's also where I met my co-founder, Nav. He and I were one of five people in the entire batch who were into sustainability. It's a very finance school that I went to. So we naturally gravitated towards each other and started working together and coming up with ideas on how we can make the world more sustainable. And we had a joint vision on that we do want to have an impact in our careers and make a change to the world. After my degree, I ended up working in mergers and acquisitions, as you do. For me, it was in the utility sector, and I spent about two years there working on deals worth over half a billion dollars before I moved on to working with the government on carbon offsetting and cap and trade. And the green story came on the side at that time. Nav and I, my co-founder and I, used to just meet up at a cafe, typically at the library on the weekends and on the after work. Uh, I think we used to see more of each other than of our wives or girlfriends at the time. And we just started kicking around ideas on how to be more sustainable in our careers and what we want to do. And really stumbled across the problem of Green Story then around how do you get consumers to buy better? And that's how the platform developed. And that's how I ended up being a founder, even though I never expected to be one. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You said as even as a child, you were quite excited or involved with environment. Can you share a bit more about that? What has been that driving force for you? Yeah, I think it's many factors. I want to point to my father as one key component of that. I was very fortunate in the sense that he had a job in the government of India, which involved a lot of work in rural communities. And a lot of his work was in charge sometimes of the development of these regions in India. And when I was a child, I remember a lot of my vacations were spent in the car or in a train going to places that nobody else would want to or dare to go, completely cut off from civilization where we were serving villages, we were serving forests. We got to go into regions such as protected rainforests, which were not allowed at the time for the common man. And I got to understand nature and human relationships within it a bit more. And, I, and gradually I grew a love for nature. And my parents also instilled that in me by purchasing a lot of books about it for me. I was a voracious reader. So I, I read a lot of books on natural history and used to watch a lot of documentaries. And I, mean, they, I believe you grew up in India as well. But like at the time, I think when I was uh, in, the, in the mid to late 90s, that's when cable television came in and Discovery Channel came in. And I used to really watch a lot of Discovery Channel as well. So it all instilled a love of nature and conservation in me as a child. So initially, I really thought I wanted to get into that space. Of course, over time, we gravitated towards engineering as as well as like the more steady kind of job scenario before I, I jumped out again. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. And I think I love that, that you not only found your passion so early, but you were able to invest time and energy. And then later, right, as you said, move away from engineering or what you studied to really start a company around that, that must feel tremendously gratifying, I, I can assume. It is. And there is a little bit of privilege around that to be able to do that. Even in Canada as an immigrant, it was difficult to make the choice because you, you've taken on a lot of student loans and you're working from almost zero at that point. Mm -hmm. You're trying to build up a career, but I just felt I had to. Didn't think that I could continue to just have a corporate job and not really try to realize my passion while I still had, I guess, the youth and the energy to do it. Absolutely. I love that, that I had to. I think it's something which you cannot stop doing. And I think that's a call of leadership. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. 
But as you mentioned, it's not easy and entrepreneurship, especially as a first time entrepreneur, can bring out a lot of challenges. So can you share how that journey has been? What did you have to learn or overcome to to like to shift, totally shift gears from being an engineer or from being in a B school to being an entrepreneur, starting something from scratch? Yeah, I mean, they say it always takes a village. Eh? There's no such thing as a self-made person. And I'm definitely like a subscriber to that philosophy. And I do think a lot of the encouragement that I got in this initially came from my parents. And then over time, my brother is also an entrepreneur, a successful one in Bangalore. And he's older than me. So he had been running a startup way before I had started with Green Story. I started building, got a little bit of confidence from that, that, hey, you can do this. But I think what's been great is like when we, when I decided that I wanted to start up, it, it wasn't because I wanted to start a company. It was more like I wanted to solve an issue and I really wanted to contribute to the world in a way that I felt was needed because I saw this bigger issue around climate change happening and I just couldn't sit by and do nothing. I feel mm-hmm. like something had to be done and how was small way I contributed, I wanted to do something. Uh, of course, be, me being me, I always wanted to think big and really want to make a huge contribution. So that's where the idea started. So when we were thinking about like doing a startup, I think there was a lot of people who did say that's a bit nuts. You have a great career and you have a good reputation. Why do you want to throw it all away to a startup and do something so risky? But at the same time, there were a lot of people who believed in me and really encouraged us and said like, one thing you should do is like, make sure you have your finances a little bit secure before you jump in because you might not earn money for two, three years and then take that leap. What we did at the time was as we were working in our nine to five jobs, we started to stockpile this idea and find ways to make sure that we had enough saved up for a few years and enough to invest within the company as well because we were planning to bootstrap from the get-go. So that's what we did. And along the way, we met a lot of mentors. To me, there were a few people who were very key throughout the process. I've already told about my brother, but a few people from B-School, some of my friends, my girlfriend at the time, and now my wife, who really supported me through all of this. And these were all people who gave varying levels of support and advice. As one thing you do find when you're starting, especially initially, is, is this kind of roller coaster, right, where you're in absolute bliss or an abject despair all within a day having that mentorship having that support really helped and what i learned to do was learn to identify whom i could go to for what so if i needed different levels of support if i needed different levels of push sometimes to get to that next level i used to find different mentors who could help me for those specific things and this are just generic like mental health in a way and support me for that next level so i started building a network and started figuring out within the mentor network whom I should go to for when, brought about some understandings with them and slowly started building it up. I mean, there were, of course, some failures. There were some people who didn't work out and some people where it was an unbalanced relationship. But over time, it's really built up to something very strong. And right now I can count on a set of five to six mentors who are always there for me and always there to support me. And that's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's sometimes so easily ignored in the rush, in the roller coaster. But I'm glad that you have that group, not just one, but a group of mentors and also that example of your brother. And I don't think there is any value you can place in the belief that you mentioned, right? Some people showed in you and also with the very practical advice of saving up money or any anything very which is very practical, which you need to be able to do that, do what you're doing. 
And so you also mentioned, right, something had to be done, right? So you have a big vision. Can you share a bit more about that big vision for Green Story and also coming to like the next three to five years, what is that short-term outcome that you're trying to create? Absolutely. So when we started off, it was really about what's the kind of impact that we want to make in the world. And we started exploring that. And one point that we arrived at was very specifically on customer choices. At the end of the day, if you go back to the core of our existence and what we want to do, we all want to leave the world in a better place than when we came in. Nobody's going out there and doing something to pollute, just to pollute, I would say. Nobody wants to pour oil into a river just for the heck of it, right? So we kind of got into that notion and seen like, why is it then that people still buy plastic water bottles or even takeaway cups when maybe other alternatives are available at that time. So we started delving into the philosophy of that and the motivations of that. And one of the things we saw was this idea of something called the say-do gap. And that's like, all of us have great intent, but that kind of conversion from intent to actual action is often quite low. So that's where the idea for Green Story came in. It, it really came in from the area, not just environmental science, but from behavioral science. to See, how can people make those better choices? So mm-hmm. the vision gradually got built up into the idea that if everyone who had the power to do so could make a more sustainable choice in their everyday lives, the entire world would change. And we figured out what that everyone means. And we did a bit of research and basically ended up being the hyper-consumers of the world, which unfortunately includes you and me. It's pretty much everybody who's living in a more Western lifestyle is a bit more affluent, whether it's there anywhere in the world. And that number is about 1 billion people. And that's why our website says like the vision is to influence 1 billion consumers. It's not just any consumers, it's people who have the power to make those purchases. And the idea is these are the people that industries and brands listen to. If I go out there and keep asking for more vegan food, for more organic clothing, companies would listen more and more. uh, Mm -hmm. And that's when supply chains will change. So that's where the vision came from within Green Story. And that's what we really want to build towards on getting there. So we're tracking that over time. So it's been a few years since we got along on that journey. And there are a few ways to look at it. One is how many people are buying from the brands that we work with, which can be in the hundreds of millions at this point, or it can also be looked at as to how many impressions more technically that we get on our widgets. And that's more attributable to us. So on average, nowadays, we get about 50 million impressions per month. So that means there are about 5 million, 5 to 10 million unique users touching our systems per month. If you extrapolate that over a year, that's anywhere from 50 to 100 million unique people that we're reaching right now. So we're getting there. That's how we're measuring it. And what we really want to get to over the next few years is really that coverage initially within the fashion space to make sure that all the major brands in the world are able to understand their impact, improve it, and utilize it, which is what we're doing with the launch of our new platform in the next few months, which is going to enable any brand in the world to calculate their product footprint, have visibility as to what they're doing, and engage consumers with a credible, sustainable story. And I really think that's going to result in a more beautiful world. Thank you. 
Thank you for sharing that. I think I love that the vision is so huge, like impacting a billion people and very specific also like which billion. But then you're also very specific in how you're tracking it, how you are measuring it. And that makes it tangible. That makes it like, that makes you, you can measure the progress and makes it so much more worthwhile than just like playing in the dark. Now, can you share about the organization itself, right? Now you're building an organization, a company, which mm -hmm. will create like that future. So can you share what are the biggest challenges that you're facing either on the ecosystem level or on the organization level as you move towards that vision? Yeah, definitely as a relatively young company, which is still doing financing rounds and growing like that, the ecosystem has changed quite a bit in the last three to four months, as we're all aware. VB was the latest in a lot of reverberations that's happened. So definitely that's been quite challenging from our side. Luckily, we have a lot of strong customers who've been supporting us anyways. But the other thing has been like the pan pandemic and the post-pandemic kind of shift in, in work. I think just in general, we always had a distributed company. As I said, I grew up in India and so did Dinav, and we both were in Toronto around the same time. So the company was always going to be a Canadian Indian company, at least. So we had a lot of the product development and strategy coming from Canada and then the base in India. But in 2020, uh, as we were talking before, I shifted to the Netherlands and we set up base in the Netherlands, partly due to investment, but part majorly due to a lot of the opportunities that we saw here within the fashion space. The commercial arm of the company is now in Utrecht in the Netherlands. There's been a lot of benefits. Having a distributed work environment also allows almost a 24-7 coverage for our clients, but it also has been difficult in the sense of time zone coordination. Sometimes you have to wait six hours for an answer when you're waiting for that one team member who knows that answer to wake up. So that's been a challenge that we've been learning to deal with a little bit and gradually getting better at. But especially post-pandemic, it has been a huge kind of learning endeavor because now distributed work is a norm and yeah. it's difficult to have hub offices even anywhere when all employees want to be distributed. And we've also grown a lot since then. It's, we went from in 2020, what was a 12% team to what is now close to 50 people almost 4x plus growth that we've had means we've had to put systems and process in place when initially we were very startupish. We were just like, mm -hmm. just do it. Like there's no real process. We just found a way to do it. And now we're learning and understanding about structuring, about operations better. And uh, yeah, it's been challenging, but it's also been rewarding ultimately just letting go a little bit because rather than just the two founders doing everything, having like a team together, it's going back to my idea of it takes a village and now this is the village we are building within Green Story, which to actually make our vision come true. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's it's wonderful and I want to congratulate you on your growth. But yeah. as you also said, distributed work is the norm and that brings a new set of challenges because uh, we are not used to that. As human beings, we are not used to that. So there's that newness which everybody has to adapt to. But then there's also new discoveries of how to communicate, how to listen and how do you manage people across those different time zones, as you mentioned? And also for the founders, you, I think, said something very interesting of letting go. And it's a very different kind of leadership that is required. Like when you are a 10 to 20 people company, than when you are like a 50 people company, and then the same will evolve when you are like 150 people or 200 people. But it's that journey and it's that growth, right? Yeah, uh, one of our mentors always says this. It's like the job of a founder is to make themselves redundant. 
and it's something we're trying to take to heart and try only now understanding yeah i think the only thing i would add is to the job of the founder is to make the operational part of them redundant but retain the leadership part so uh, as a leader so you continue to grow and evolve and even lead and but the operational part will continue to change and shift and evolve and uh, you will find more people uh, like taking over that ship uh, as you grow from like from a very small team to like a mid-sized team to now maybe two years down the line into different business units and then so on. Thank you for mentioning that. And then that's a lovely distinction to make. So thank you for bringing that up as well. Yeah, absolutely. How do you manage that process of growth, right? How do you manage that letting go? How do you manage the pressure that comes with the entrepreneurship? You mentioned about mentors and having that support system, but what else do you do to create that breathing space for yourself as you navigate this journey? I'm still trying to find all the answers, if I'm honest. I think the mentorship and just having a very understanding co-founder and a very understanding spouse has been super helpful. Uh, but at the same time, as I said, finding the right people who can support me at the right time. I think I'm myself very bad at taking breaks, which mm -hmm. is a weakness that I have. But I do think that's important though. And I have seen other friends of mine who are successful equally or more having had that success by creating the discipline to have some time for themselves and take more breaks, which is something I'm trying to cultivate more. I think I'm succeeding a little bit, but I'm still not where I want to be. But that's definitely a thing like just understanding that you're still, you're still human and mm -hmm. you need you know, both physical and mental rest. And the more rested you are, the better it is for the company because you'll be, you, you want to present yourself at your best. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's, uh, it's that pull of the ambition or the drive or the vision. Uh, and at the same time, being aware of your like limited capability of your body, of uh, that need for sleep or the need for rest. And then how do you balance yeah, that? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's sometimes initially when you're starting off, you have reward mechanisms for starting and just for doing things. But I think as you really pick up what you need to then set in place, which I'm gradually starting to do, is reward mechanism for stopping. Mm -hmm. So that you've realized your limit and you want to do the best the next day. Okay, you're stopping at eight o'clock and this is great. You've done most of what, what is needed. It also enables you to hyper-focus because the more you grow, the more responsibilities you initially get before you pass them on. But it, not all of them are important. Not all of them are urgent. So you start creating that important urgent matrix, figure out what's actually needs to be done and then go with that. And, and I think I've seen different leaders come up with different frameworks and if I'm honest I've tried to use most of them and some of them have worked for me some of them haven't like Rossi mm -hmm. whether it's uh, like the important urgent matrix whatever it is right it, it, uh, to do less even simple and pros and cons less whatever it is something works for somebody and you just had to figure out what works for you and go with that absolutely and since you mentioned about like the human side of it can you share something more personal about you, which uh, like most people that you work with are not aware of? I guess I can. Like, I, I think for me, what I like doing in my downtime is really what people call rambling. So it's probably the most boring, but I find the most rewarding hobby in the world is like really going in a long walk with no direction. Mm -hmm. That's how my wife and I spend quality time together as well. She's also a rambler. So we're very lucky to be living in Utrecht as so many beautiful parks and forests where you can get lost in. And we just Google map our way back if we're fully lost. But that's what I do. I absolutely uh, love doing that. 
I'm also very part-time artist. My wife's a professional artist. I'm very much part-time. So I do uh-huh. like drawing and sketching and painting as a way to relax and also express myself. Sometimes when you're too frustrated or you re- really want an outlet, I find a brush and canvas to be a great way to give an outlet. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think so. there are two things which I want to point out, right? One is I asked this question because many times we don't know the human side of the people that we work with. And it always makes a difference or builds that connection and trust when that comes out. So thank you for sharing that. And the second thing, right, in, even in my work with a lot of leaders, I do encourage some kind of like meditative or walking or being in nature or some kind of hobby or artistic activity to help them become better leaders. So I'm very curious. So taking long walks and having a creative outlet for your expression, how does that help you? Or do you think that it helps you in your leadership, in your entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think it's a reset, right? Because I think what happens is as a leader, there's the expression that you have to be at the dance and at the balcony, right? You can't just be lost in the weeds. You do need to have the broad oversight of what's going on and keep the vision and strategy in mind as well. And what typically happens is once you get into the operational weeds, it's hard to do that. And you can't always just be at that high level without understanding what's going on on the ground. And I think taking these kind of mindful breaks is a great way to break that loop, which most founders are tend to be some level of perfectionists and to go dive in and just execute. And that's how you grow, typically, especially initially. And this is a way to break that habit in a sense. And just stick your head up and just breathe and look around a little bit. And I I used to actually do a lot of Tai Chi as a Mm. relaxation mechanism. I don't practice as much anymore, unfortunately, and I do want to get back into it. It's something I learned from my master in India. And I do think it's, you need to have something like that just to break the chain of things, be mindful of yourself, be mindful of your body and recharge your batteries because that's when you can present the best version of yourself. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I love the word like mindful breaks and not just breaks. And I think what happens in any kind of mindful activity, whether it's taking a long walk or simply meditation or doing anything creative is that you, as you said, give your mind a break, but then you also connect with the other things which matter to you, which are important to you. And many times founders do not see that like in, in being that perfectionist or wanting to get everything done today. But what we don't realize is sometimes being mindful can actually help us find the shortcuts or some of those ways that we can actually uh, create that future, but faster or by doing less work, actually. So thank you for sharing that. I do appreciate what you just shared. So before, before we end, before we end, is there anything else that you would like to add? Or if somebody wants to reach out, what is the best way for them to do? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach out to me at akhil at greenstory.io or go to our website, greenstory.io. We have a huge product release coming up over the next two months. Soft launch is actually in a couple of weeks with select brands, but it is going to basically enable fashion brands to really do everything that we do on their own. They don't need our PhDs anymore. Mm. They can go in, do their own assessment, offset their own footprint and have full traceability. And it's going to be one of the most comprehensive systems ever devised. And we're doing that with our chief sustainability officer, Dr. Muthu, who pretty much wrote the book on the subject. He's written over 150 different books on life cycle assessment. We're very proud of what the system has become and we're excited for the launch. If you are a brand and you're interested in the work that we do, reach out to us. There is a wait list that we're building up and happy to talk to you about that. 
Thank you. Thank you, Akhil, for sharing. And that sounds exciting, right? I think you're building something or leveraging technology in a way that, that will massively accelerate your vision or the numbers that you mentioned. So I want to wish you all the best for that. Thank you. And some of the, for us, the philosophy has always been, if it's already been done before, don't bother really do something big and different. I think that's the overall direction of our team. So we're hoping it, this is going to be something big and different. It's going to be quite revolutionary in the space. Thank you. Thank you, Akhil. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.